Thank you for tuning in to listen to this week's sermon at Bethel Church. Every week, Pastor Jeremy Dean delivers a powerful message rooted in Scripture, a heart for the gospel, and a love for God and His church. We also hope you check out the Bethel Church podcast, which release on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. throughout the year. To learn more about Bethel Church, you can visit lovingbethel.com. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here's Pastor Jeremy Dean. John chapter 3, look at verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us through Scripture to know who you are, to know what you are about, to know how much you love us and the life you've called us to live, what you've created us for. God, we can see it in the pages of your word. And so, Father, as we hear from you this morning, help us to understand what you're teaching us. Help us to to repent and turn to you And give those things that we've been holding on to and having control over ourselves. Help us to give those things to you that we would trust you with everything that we are. That we would live the life you've called us to live. That we would be transformed inside out. That we would become more and more of who you are and less and less about ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, the big idea this morning is this. And I I took this straight from Scripture. I didn't know any other way to reword it. I didn't know how else to say it other than, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Pretty direct, pretty straightforward. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. And we're going to understand and unpack what that really means and what that looks like. But as you sit here and listen, I want you to ask yourself, and, and, and pray about, am I born again? We sang it in that lyric, in that, so, in that song right there. If I remember the lyric right, I'll get somebody to help me out with that. It says, with dead men walking slaves to sin. And then I think the next line is, I want to be born again. We sing about it. Jesus teaches about it. He shares it. 
Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And don't be fooled. The enemy wants you to think otherwise. The world wants you to think otherwise. The culture wants you to think otherwise. They want you to think there's another way. They want you to think that there's some other way to get into the, to heaven. There's another way to be right with God. There's another way to get into the kingdom of God. But the truth is, Jesus said it right here, there's not. Unless one is born again, you cannot see. You can't even look at the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus, we meet him in the very first verse of chapter 3. He says there, was, there was, says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Let's get, this, let's get to know Nicodemus for just a moment here. He's described in a few different ways. One, it says he was a man of the Pharisees. If you're not familiar with the Pharisees, They were a a religious and a political group in early Judaism. In this particular time, they arose around 150 B.C., and they kind of stuck around until after the temple was destroyed in the year 70. But they they were a distinguished group. The word Pharisee comes from another word that kind of really means to be separate from, to be distinct from. And so the idea of being a part of the Pharisees was that we are over here and we are a group to ourselves and we are not like them, whoever them may be, right? They saw themselves as being the, uh, the elite of religion, right? They were the holier-than-thou type of people. They were very strict when it came to following the Old Testament laws, they were so strict about following these laws that they made other rules that made sure they were following the rules that God had laid out. For example, when it comes to the Sabbath, they set rules for how many steps you can take on that day. Just so, even though Scripture doesn't say that, they wanted to make sure that they honored the Sabbath and kept it holy. So we're going to give a specific number to the number of steps we take on that day so we don't violate that rule. They put rules upon rules upon rules. Their whole idea was that we want to do all of the right things. And we want to make sure we don't leave anything undone. We want to make sure that there's nothing uh, perceived to be wrong about how we live our lives. They were separate from everybody else. We don't want to be like that guy. We don't want to be like those people. We've got our act together. And Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees. So he was among that group. He was in that group. But not only was he part of that group, it says in verse 1, or verse, yeah, verse 1, he was a ruler of the Jews. So being part of this distinguished religious group, the Pharisees, he was also known as a ruler. He had authority. People answered to him. There was a particular group of of Pharisees and another group called Sadducees that made up a, a governing council in that day and time. It was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was responsible not only for religious law and religious things in, that, in, in, in Israel, they were also responsible for political judgments and political things as well under Rome. Rome basically let them kind of do their thing as long as they didn't cause problems for Rome. And the Sanhedrin was this governing council. Likely, it doesn't tell us for sure, but likely Nicodemus was part 
of this Sanhedrin. Being a ruler of the Jews, he had this type of religious authority. He had this type of political authority. People would answer to Nicodemus. Jesus, if you go down and look a little bit later in this conversation he has with Nicodemus, look at verse 10. One more thing we learned about Nicodemus. Jesus is talking to him and says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? It's interesting that he doesn't say, Are you a teacher of Israel? No, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel? It implies that people are listening attentively, paying attention to the teachings of Nicodemus, the people would have known who he is. The people would have had a high respect and regard for Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an important man. He was significant. People would recognize him. He had a good reputation. People might would have looked at Nicodemus and said, man, there is a really religious guy. God was really pleased with Nicodemus. I wish I could be like Nicodemus. I'm not like Nicodemus. He seems to always get it right. He seems to always know the answer, but I'm always falling short and I'm always getting confused. Nicodemus was supposed to be the example for people to follow and people look to him. That's who Nicodemus is. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now look in verse 2 how he or when he comes to Jesus. This man came to Jesus by night. Came to Jesus when it was dark outside. Why? He didn't want to be seen. This man of the Pharisees, this ruler of the Jews, this teacher of the law, didn't want them to see where he was going, and who he was talking to. If you back up and you look at the very last couple of verses of chapter 2, what we see Jesus doing in Jerusalem is going around and working miracles. He was healing people. He was exercising demons. He was doing these miracles. And as people saw the miracles of Jesus, they were drawn to him, and they believed in his name is what it says, but that Jesus did not entrust himself to the people because he knew what was in man's heart. So Jesus is doing all of these things, and the people seem to like what he's doing. Why would Nicodemus not want to be seen? Because of who he identified himself with. He was a man of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews. And he was skeptical of who Jesus was and where Jesus came from. But he comes to Jesus, I believe, because he had a curiosity. I think he came to Jesus because he had a certain set of expectations. Look at what he says to Jesus in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It sounds to me like Nicodemus is getting some things right. He calls Jesus rabbi, which means teacher. He even says to Jesus that we know that you are a teacher come from God because nobody can do the things that you're doing. No one can work these miracles unless God was with him. That sounds on the surface like Nicodemus is getting it right. He's only getting it part right. He says, 
We know that you are a teacher come from God. Here's the deal. What he's missing is that Jesus is God. He's missing that Jesus is the teacher. He's not just a teacher. He's not just one among many or one among a few. He is the one that has authority. He is the one that we answer to. And Nicodemus did not have that understanding. Nicodemus didn't have that expectation. He was missing who Jesus really was. But it's interesting how Jesus answers Nicodemus. First, Nicodemus doesn't ask a question. Nicodemus makes a statement. There's a period at the end of verse 2. But it says that Jesus answered him in verse 3. See, we've talked about this a lot. You're going to hear it more and more. Jesus knows what's in your heart. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows Nicodemus. He knows what Nicodemus is thinking. He knows what Nicodemus understands. He knows what Nicodemus is expecting. He knows what kind of man he is. And Jesus speaks right into that. What were Nicodemus' expectations? And see, in this particular time, the Old Testament had prophesied that a Messiah would come. And that this Messiah would be the king of the Jews, would be the king of Israel. And so when the Messiah came, they expected in this day and time that if he is the Messiah, that he is a king. And if he is a king, he's got to overthrow Rome, right? And he's got to reestablish the kingdom of David. He's got to bring Jerusalem out from under the control of Rome and it become an autonomous and independent ruling kingdom as it was before, just like it was under David and Solomon. That's what they were expecting. Nicodemus might have had kingdom expectations. Is this the time? Is, are you the Messiah that's going to come and set this kingdom back up and reestablish the kingdom of Israel? Many people thought that. In a few chapters, we're going to see that they even try to make Jesus king. And he slips out from among them because that's not why he came. He came for something more. He came for something bigger. The kingdom of God that Jesus speaks about is not just an earthly physical kingdom that you can travel to on the other side of the ocean. The kingdom of God is where God's sovereign rule takes place and where his rule reigns. Today that's in our hearts. Today that is in the church. Today that is in heaven itself. And one day when Jesus returns, he will reestablish his sovereign rule over everything. He's doing something greater than what Nicodemus expected. Nicodemus' expectations were kind of down here. And Jesus knew, I'm doing something bigger. Nicodemus probably had some religious expectations. Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do the signs that you do unless God were with them. I too, I mean, he doesn't say this, but he's, I'm pretty sure he might be thinking, I too am a teacher. I know the scriptures. I'm a religious guy. I'm a man of the Pharisees. I'm a ruler of the Jews. His expectations were that I, Nicodemus, have gotten things right. I'm doing all the right things. I'm saying all the right things. I understand scripture. Maybe his expectation was that Jesus would look at this man of the Pharisees, ruler of the Jews, teacher of the law, and be like, hmm, you look good. I'm impressed. You've done a lot of good things. Nicodemus, you've ruled so well. 
People love you, Nicodemus. You're setting all the right examples. You're doing all the right things. If that were true, why'd he come in the middle of the night? Something's missing. Something's not quite adding up for Nicodemus. He might have had religious expectations. He might have had entitlement expectations. Jesus, look at all these things that I've done. Look at who I am. Look at my resume. Look at, look, at, look at what I've accomplished. Look at how people think of me. I'm a man of the Pharisees. I'm a ruler of the Jews. I deserve the kingdom of God. I deserve to be recognized by you. Sometimes do we fall into that category? Do we sometimes feel like we're doing God favors? Do we sometimes think that, man, I have got it all together because I am not like all those other people that when I come to Jesus, he ought to look at me and think, wow, you're doing a really good job? Or do we, do we think that we can come into his presence as equals with Jesus? You know, I would even say sometimes we don't even just come at it like that. We sometimes come into Jesus' presence thinking we can tell him what to do and how it ought to be. I deserve this. Why did you not do this for me? I deserve that. I've earned my way. Did you see what, do you know what they call me? A man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews? People come and they listen to me read from the scroll in the synagogue. Jesus, I've earned my way. I've done enough. I'm good enough. Look, if you're taking notes, it took me a long time to get to this point, but here's the deal. Your resume is not enough for you to enter the kingdom of God. Your resume is not enough. When we, when we apply for a job, what do we do? We, 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 we build a resume. What do we put on our resume? All the things that we've done, places we've been, that make us look good and show our experience and show why we are qualified for that job. You cannot write a resume that will make you fit for the kingdom of God. It just doesn't work. There's something more. How do we know there's something more? Look at what Jesus answered him with. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, he says, truly, truly. He says that three times in the section that we're reading here. That truly, truly literally means amen, amen. In other words, I agree, I agree. What that really means is pay attention to this verse. It's worth remembering. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus hears that, and I'm sure his jaw drops. What? You're telling me that I have to be born again? And if I'm not born again, I can't see the kingdom of God? Jesus, don't you know who I am? Don't you know the position I have? Don't you know the reputation I have? Don't you know the status I have? Don't you know how many likes that I have? Jesus, don't you know how many times I go to church and go to synagogue? Don't you know how often I do that? Don't you know the example that I set? And you're saying that I can't even see, I can't even look upon the kingdom of God unless I'm born again? You're crazy. That sounds ridiculous to Nicodemus. How do I know it sounds ridiculous to him? Look at verse 4. It says, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is thinking of it in physical terms. Nicodemus is missing entirely the spiritual aspect and the spiritual work of God that's taking place. He's focusing on what he can see, what he can hear, what he can touch. He's focusing on the here and now and is completely missing what God is really doing. Look, our lives are not just reserved to, what, to our five senses, what we can see and touch and smell and hear and taste. There's something greater. There's something bigger going on. And Jesus is trying to get this church-going religious guy to get it. He thinks that if I show up enough times that I'm good enough and my resume will speak for itself. And Jesus is saying, you won't even see the kingdom of God. Are you born again? Are you born again? Look at verse 5. Let's get into Jesus' answer just a little bit. Jesus says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, there's that second one, right? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We need to understand what he's talking about when he says the phrase born again. What he says there in, in, in verse, verse 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What does he mean by that? What he's talking about is two things. He's talking about the physical me. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. If you pinch the person next to you and they say, ow, they're flesh. Right? Humans reproduce humans. Flesh reproduces flesh. It just makes sense. This is the way that it goes. And Jesus takes this a step further. He's trying to take Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're stuck in the physical things. You're stuck in the physical understanding. You're missing what God is really doing. There's something greater, something beyond. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And in order for you to see the kingdom of God, in order for you to enter into God's authority and be ruled and governed by Him, to enter into His heaven, to enter into where God is in His dwelling and be right with Him, in order for you to get to heaven, you must not only be born of flesh, which is everyone in here, but you must also be born of the Spirit, which might not be everyone in here. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. See, Nicodemus came in with these expectations that I'm good enough. I'm okay. I was talking to a buddy a few weeks ago, and, 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 and that, that's his thought. He, he basically says that if God is good, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I should be okay. That's not truth. That's not Scripture. You know, and, and, and we might sit here and think, well, I understand that. I've heard the gospel a lot, and I know that I'm not good enough. Well, we take it for granted. And this is a silly analogy, and analogies always fall short. And one day you're going to tell me, Jeremy, that was a terrible analogy. You don't need to say that one anymore, and this might, this might be it. Um, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. You can tell me after, okay? You ever been to one of those stores that has scratch and dent appliances? Right? The idea behind a scratch-and-dent appliance or refrigerator is that it's pretty much like new. 
It works, it will cool, the freezer will freeze, and you can take it home and you can use it and get the job done. But it's, the paint is scratched here or the handle is broken here or whatever, and so the price is reduced because it's not in mint condition. Right? I believe that many of us in this room think that we are a scratch and dent person. We've got some dings and we've got some scratches, but overall we're pretty good and we're in good shape. When the reality is, we are more like a totaled car. You know, you've seen on the news the car that was in a really horrific accident and it was just completely mangled, maybe even caught fire and everything's just kind of burned out of it and it's completely black, you don't even know what color the car was. And then it gets to a scrapyard and it is crushed and it's like stuck in a pile with a bunch of other crushed cars. That's more like who we are. See, we, what, what that means is that we don't really recognize the severity of our sin. Because we're like Nicodemus and we think, I've done enough. I've come a few times, I've read my Bible a few times, and I said to somebody one day a long time ago that I believe Jesus died for me and rose again, and then we continue living our lives like we're a scratch and dent refrigerator, but we're stuck crushed in a scrap pile. We don't recognize, we don't appreciate how horrible and destructive and deceptive our sin is. And why do I say sin is so bad? Because sin leads to death. You can't get any worse than that. God is holy and perfect in every way. And, and our sin falls completely short. Even our best of intentions, even our self-righteousness, pales in comparison. Scripture says it's like filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. We don't appreciate it. And so we live life thinking we're generally good enough. Are you born again? Have you been changed? What is Jesus talking about? Being born of the Spirit. Let's look at a few other verses and, and, and see. See, the, the, the next point is that you must become new to enter the kingdom of God. That it's not, the Nicodemus, you're not good enough. Nicodemus, you by yourself are not enough. Something else needs to happen. God has got to rebirth you spiritually. You must become new to enter the kingdom of God, to go to heaven, to be right with God, to have an eternal future in goodness and joy and all those things. You must become new. You must be born again. Another way I put it this way is that salvation requires a spiritual rebirth, not a physical remodeling. We want to change things on the outside. We want to throw some paint over that scratch and say it's good enough when Jesus wants to make a new refrigerator out of you. What a terrible analogy that is, right? You hearing me? <laughs> All right. And there's hope in this. There's joy in this because, man, if we were left to this idea of Nicodemus, how hard does he have to try? How much work does he have to put in? 
That every single day he has got to work hard to be good enough. And today he messed up. And tomorrow i got to work harder. And the burden and the pressure and, and, and the chains weigh heavy on a person who relies and trusts in themselves. But Jesus came to break us free from all of that. That we would trust in him and what he has done for us. That we can live the life he's called us to live. That we would, we would, we would not be just fixed on the outside. But from the inside out we become a new creation. Nicodemus should have understood this. Being a teacher of the Old Testament. Because if you go back to Ezekiel. Look at these, these verses with me. Ezekiel 36. This is way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus came, right? Ezekiel was a prophet to Israel, and Israel was in sin and idolatry, and they were running from God when they should have been running to God. And this is what Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. You get this whole washing going on here, purifying, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God intended to do a new thing. To transform you. Not just to brush you off, but to reach into the very core of who you are and remove what is dead and bring to life your heart. So that then you can walk in the life that he has called you to live. You you rely on him. You depend on him. I depend on him. It's not what I can do, it's what he is working in me. In 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Paul talks about the same idea. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. God is not in the business of just brushing you off and cleaning some of the dirt off. He is in the business of making you new. He is not in the business of saying, all right, you're doing pretty good, Nicodemus. You've got a lot of things right. You just need to tweak this here and there. No, he says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to become new. Who you were was not good enough. Who you are is not good enough. God has got to do a work in you. Theologically, we call this regeneration. Where he is making you new. There's two things I want you to understand about this idea of born again. One, it is settled. It is is decisive. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and you commit to following him, you trust in him, you recognize, I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't change it. I don't have the ability. I'm at the end of my rope. I've tried everything to be good and I still keep falling short. When you come to that place and you simply surrender your life to Jesus and say, I can't do it, but God, I know you came to do it for me. When you give your life to Christ, it is settled The Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and he makes your dead heart alive. He brings you alive in Christ. And it is settled. You are a new person. The old is gone. You are no longer that person anymore. Who you were, what you were like, what you did, what you said, all of those things, the dirt that covered your life and filled your heart, he has forgiven and cast it as far as the east is from the west.
is settled. And he won't count it against you anymore. The old is past, but the new has come. And it is a work of God in you. He says it there in verse 8. He says, the wind blows. Well, let me back up in verse 7. He says to Nicodemus, don't marvel at this. You shouldn't be surprised, Nicodemus. You're a teacher of the law. This should just make sense to you. But Nicodemus wasn't getting it. He says in verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of this Spirit. Understand this. Regeneration, being born again, letting God work in your life is not on you. It's on God working in you. You just have to receive it. You just have to trust in Him. You just have to let go of yourself and let God take the reins. We don't always understand where God is working. We can't always tell you where he's going. We can't always say where he's been. We can't always do those things. We can't always predict it, but we can trust this, that God is working much behind the scenes and in front of our eyes if we would just look. God is working. He's drawing people to him. He's using your evangelism, and he's hearing your prayers, and he's using your ministry to reach the people outside of these walls. And those of you who are not born again, again in these walls with the truth of Jesus. God is working, and you can trust him. He tells us in Philippians 1, 6, that the one who started this work in you will bring it to completion. He doesn't give up on you. You are the oldest past, the new has come, and God is working on you. I was listening to the radio the other day. I don't know what pastor said this, but he puts a sign on those new Christians and says, under construction, he's doing a work. He's doing a work. You are a work in progress. People can change. Not because of our own strength and our own efforts, but because of the work of God in you. If God is not working in you, if you are not growing in your faith, if you are not falling more and more in love with Jesus day after day, week after week, month after month, if you are not a different Christian today than you were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, whenever it was that you gave your life to Christ, the chances are he's not working in you because you're not his. Are you born again? Is God changing your heart to the point that it overflows out of you and you cannot help but be obedient to him? You cannot help but go and share. You cannot help but serve in the church. You cannot help but be there when God's people gather. You cannot help but tell people about Jesus. You cannot help but tell them the truth. When the culture and the media and everything else is spewing out lies, you cannot help but say the truth because you're so in love with Jesus and he's doing a work in you. You can't do this. Can't. Are you born again? Is the Spirit working in you? Is He changing you? If you're thinking right now that I'm not sure, that sounds pretty heavy. Jeremy, I don't know what you're talking Come talk to me afterward. Because God wants to do a work in you. Here's the next thing. Next point. Jesus understands the change that needs to happen in you better than anyone else. Jesus understands the change that needs to happen in you better than anyone else. Look at verse 9. 
Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Still, Nicodemus didn't quite get it. And Jesus says in verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, there it is again. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. We don't have a lot of time to go into all the details, but let me just sum it up this way. That verse 13, Jesus is saying, look, I was with the Father in the beginning. I've been there. I know what it's like, and I know what it takes to get there. Nicodemus, you need to listen to me. You need to trust in me. But Nicodemus, if I've told you of earthly things how are you, and you don't believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you of spiritual things or heavenly things? What are the earthly things he's talking about? He's talking about the work of God here in this place. He's not just talking about humans reproducing humans. The earthly things he's talking about is the work of God to bring people to faith in him and that he makes them into a new creation because that's the work of God on earth. That's the earthly things. Nicodemus couldn't understand it because he was stuck in the physical because he had no connection with God even though he looked the part. And Jesus is saying, look, I understand exactly what you need. I know exactly what you're missing. And I, I've been there. I know what it takes to get there. I understand the change that needs to take place in you better than you do. So what does that mean for you and me? And that's the final point. Is it simply this? We need to trust him. Trusting in Jesus is, to, is the key to that heart transformation to that spiritual change, to that being born again. It's listening to the words of Christ. It's trusting in what he says. And trust, if you've heard me talk before about trust, trust is not saying, it's not just acknowledging, hey, teacher, we know you are a good teacher coming from God because you couldn't do the things that you do without God being with you, right? It's not just acknowledging that Jesus is a good teacher. It's not just acknowledging that he's a good man. It's not just acknowledging that, you know, with your mind, it is giving your whole self to him. If you're going across a bridge, you can acknowledge that it's there. You can acknowledge that it will hold those cars up. You can acknowledge that it might hold you up, but you haven't trusted that bridge until you've walked across it. Are you born again? Is he working in your heart? I'm going to invite Christy to come and play. And at this point in, in, in the service, this is, this is, we're nearing the end. We're getting ready to go. But here's what I want you to pay attention to and focus on. What is God speaking to you today? From the word of God in John chapter 3, what has the Holy Spirit put in your mind? What, what, what stone has he put in your shoe that you just can't, can't get over? It's stuck. You're thinking about it. Maybe it's that you're not sure if you've been born again. Maybe, maybe you're not sure that God is working in your heart that way. If that's you, I would invite you to come talk with me in this time, or you can catch me afterward. I'll either be here. If I'm not here, I'll be right outside under those trees. Come pull me aside and say, hey, I want to know how to be born again. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I, you know, people can't change. This is just who I am. This is what I'm like. This is the way I was born. This is the way God made me. Look, God is all about making things new. He's all about the change. 
So maybe that thing you're thinking that that's just who I am, that's the thing that he wants to change in you. The question is, will you trust him? Will you let him do the heart surgery he needs to do? In these few moments, let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. You respond to God however he leads you. Let's pray.